It is Welcome Home Sunday, and it's so good to see uh, so many of you. It's good to be back in the pulpit. Uh, I feel like I have missed home this summer, and it's good to be back occupying this space. And uh, so grateful for a really gifted team of colleagues who have brought uh, really good words for us this summer. It is, uh, it's exciting for us as, uh, as a leadership here at the church. Our session has been wrestling for the last 16 months on who God is calling us to be for the next three to five years. And, and, and we've had some discernment conversations. We've been praying, we've been listening uh, to you and the congregation, and we are excited to reveal our new vision statement, trusting all belong to God, living like we belong to one another. And uh, I'm excited uh, because throughout the fall, we're gonna spend the next two months, September and October, exploring the statement. And you may be thinking, uh, the statement's only like 10 words long. It's going to take two months doing that. And now you got it. <laughs> Welcome home. We're not in summer. Yeah, so it is exciting because I think this statement is a theological statement about who we are at our core and who God calls us to be every day. And I think that this statement is going to um, challenge us in the days and the weeks ahead. And so we're excited to preach on it. But I have to tell you, the first challenge of this statement is it is really difficult to trust that all belong to God if you don't trust that you belong to God. And so this morning, we got to talk about that. And as Presbyterian, so much that defines uh, if we belong to God is this uh, doctrine of original sin, right? And it's really easy if we started original sin it's hard if we start there to work our way back to how God has created us. So instead of trying to work our way back, we're going to begin in the beginning. And our first scripture lesson comes to us from the book of Genesis this day. And this is what I'm going to ask you to do. If you've already opened your Bible to page one, shut your Bible and put it in the pew rack this week. I promise God will love you if you don't follow along in the Bible. But this, this portion of scripture is literally known in the Hebrew, Genesis, the book of beginnings. And it's, made, it, it's written for us to hear it. It's rhythmic. It's lyrical. And we got to hear it. So I invite you now to listen for the word of the Lord that comes to us from Genesis 1. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God hovered over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the water from the waters. And it was so. God called the dome sky. And there was evening and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together, God called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, 
plants yielding seed and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. And, so, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the night from the day. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. There was evening. There was morning. The fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures. And let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said... Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing which creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in God's image. In the image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them. God blessed them. And it was so... God saw everything that God had made, and indeed, it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Here now from Paul's letter to the Romans, the seventh chapter. I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good, but in fact, it is no longer I that do it. But sin that dwells within me, for I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want. That is what I do. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Remind us, O oh God, that you hover here. You hover in this very sanctuary just as you hovered over the waters of creation. So 
So we ask that you would create afresh and anew this very day, that you would reach across the ages and breathe new life into these ancient words, that they might be your word to us here and now. That you might breathe new life into the words of my mouth and into the meditations of all of our hearts that all would be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God. our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. I met a guy several years ago. His name was Derek. Derek uh, was not originally from the United States, and he, uh, he traveled every week for work. Some of you know what this is like. Derek told me that he would find himself in a brand new city every single day. But for him, he didn't really mind the travel because he wasn't from America, and it provided an opportunity for him to see parts of the country that he had only read about in books, or to discover cities that he had never even heard of. But there was something uh, that bothered Derek every morning when he left the hotel. Something just wouldn't leave him alone. It wasn't uh, the bed. It wasn't whether or not the pillows were perfect. Do you know what it was? It was the soap. It bothered Derek that every night when he would arrive at a hotel, there in the, in, in the bathroom waiting for him was a brand new package of bar soap and shampoo and conditioner. And then in like the really fancy hotels, he would even have some mouthwash waiting for him in those little containers. The soap bothered him because he would use that bar of soap twice and he would leave it in the shower, check out, and go on to the next city. This began to bother Derek so much that one morning he stopped at the front desk to ask the, the attendant there, the receptionist, with, what, what do you do with all of that partially used soap that I just leave behind? And she said, that's a really good question. Uh, I think we just throw it away. And Derek said, what do you mean you just throw it away? She said, yeah, I think we just throw it away. Derek went on to his uh, work meetings for the day, and he was driving back to a different hotel that night, and he began thinking, how much soap does that hotel that I stayed in last night throw away every day? How much soap do they throw away in a year? The question bothered him. So when he got home from his business trip, he said something to his wife. He said, I can't wrap my mind around that so much soap is simply discarded because the top layer of the soap is dirty, but the core of the soap wasn't contaminated. There's still goodness in that soap. I think I have an idea. So he went to a hotel where he put his family up when they would come and visit, and he said, can I speak with the manager? Manager comes out and he says, um, I got this issue with soap I need your help with. Um, I wondered if you would instruct the cleaning crews every day when they go to clean these rooms, if they wouldn't throw the soap away, but if they would put the soap in just big trash bags, I'll come back and get it. And the manager said, that's sort of an odd request. We've never had that before, but we'll do it. We'll do it for a week. A week went by the next Saturday. Derek shows up at the front desk counter and he says, uh, my name's Derek and uh, I, I'm here to pick up the soap. And the receptionist looked at him and she goes, oh, you're the guy. <laughs> he goes, 
yeah, I'm here to pick up the soap. She goes, did you bring any help? And he goes, what do you mean did I bring any help? She said, uh, we have 12 25-gallon trash bags full of soap. Did you bring any help to lift it? <laughs> and Derek goes, can I get one of those carts that you put your luggage on? And she said, sure, I'll call the bellhop. Bellhop comes out, they load 12 bags of soap, put it in the back of his truck. Derek does this every Saturday for a month. At the end of the month, Derek, you know what he did? He had to call and rent warehouse space to keep all the soap. His garage wasn't big enough. And then Derek puts out an all call on social media and he says, hey, I need some help um, working on this soap. I'll give you uh, volunteer hours for school. He called churches, so people started descending. They'd put on rubber gloves. They would bring the potato peelers from their house, and they would get that soap, and they would shave the top two layers off of it. Derek would then take that soap. He would grind it, purify it, and they would cast it into bigger bars. Derek had to quit his job because a year into this process, they had shipped out over 100,000 bars of giant soap from his warehouse. Back to his homeland, Uganda, where Derek was haunted by the memories, the images of seeing some of his friends and their families die when he was a young child of dysentery. Derek went on to be named one of CNN's Hero of the Year in 2011. He was named a hero because Derek was able to see what everyone else had failed to see. That just because the top layer of soap was dirty and used, it didn't define the core of the soap. The core was still good. The core had life. You don't have to be a minister to know that this will preach. <laughs> But I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to keep on preaching because I think there's something to be said about this. Friends, I think that it is so easy, is it not, to look at the top layers of our lives? Really easy. Look in the mirror. Try it. You may have even done it this morning. Look in that mirror and we see only the top layers of our lives. And we forget when we look in the mirror the core of who we are. The core of who we are is goodness. It's even more tempting to look at uh, the mirror and to see the brokenness of our lives and to believe that the brokenness is actually what defines us. If we view only the dirty layers of our lives, the, the sin, the brokenness, the failure, it's, it's nearly impossible to work our way back to the goodness that God has created us for. Uh, as Presbyterians, this is really hard for us because the doctrine of original sin, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, if we start there with Paul, it's really hard to walk our way back to Genesis. We got to start with Genesis. We got to start in the beginning, page one of the Bibles that you closed and put back. We have to remember who God created us for and what God created creation for. 
We have to begin there. Did you hear it in our scripture this morning? We tried to break it down for you so you would hear that rhythmic. And God saw that it was good. It was lyrical. They're poetic and powerful words. They're designed for us to hear over and over and over again that everything that we see, everything that we encounter is created out of God's goodness. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Everything that God created was made for goodness. But something changed when God made humankind. Did you hear it? God creates humankind in God's own image. In the liturgical refrain, did you hear it? It changed. God saw everything that God had made. And indeed, it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. It seems to me that creation was not complete until God created human beings in the image of the divine. Another way to say this, uh, God wasn't finished creating until God made in God's own image. You were made in the image of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in your mother's womb. God knit you together. We are made, the very core of us, of you and me and every person that we pass on the street. We are made for goodness. I mean, we're not good on our own. We're good because God has made us that way, created us that way, and it is the foundation of who we are. But Matthew, did you happen to turn on the news last night? We were made for goodness. Did you see what happened in Syria yesterday? More bombs, more innocents, people lost. Really, Matthew, did you, uh, did you not see the people who were uh, standing over at 75 Central Expressway this morning as you drove to church? You're, you're trying to tell me that this is made for goodness? Matthew, I read the newspaper. I live my life, and what I see is pain. I see a world that's broken. I see famine and war and greed and lies and abuse. Exploitation? Are you trying to tell me that that's goodness? That's to say nothing of the pain of my own life, Matthew. I mean, do you know what it's like to have the pain of broken vows? What it must feel like to carry the pain of losing a loved one. Pain of illness that drives you to a chemo chair every other week. That's pain. Pain of unmet expectations or even worse, pain of dreams that didn't come true. What about those times, Matthew, when I wanted to do good? And I ended up doing something else instead. Listen, I, I don't think that we can ignore the brokenness. I'm not, not asking that we do that. 
I am asking us to retrain our eyes to understand that the brokenness, while it exists in this world, it exists in our very lives, that that brokenness is not the foundation on which we were built. And there's a difference. You can be made good and prone to sin, but that does not define the goodness that you were made from. You can be a tiny bar of soap in a hotel room get used twice and still be soap. Friends, the the pain and the sin of the world is powerful. But that pain in our lives, the pain of the world, does not change the foundation on which we were built. It doesn't define who we are. God's creation isn't defined by pain and suffering or brokenness. The foundation of God's whole creation of our very lives is goodness. All of you uh, by now know who one of my favorite theologians is. It's Father Gregory Boyle. He's a Jesuit priest. Father Boyle has been working in a neighborhood in Los Angeles that is the gang capital of Los Angeles. So let's be clear. Los Angeles is the gang capital of the United States. Father Boyle has been working in the gang capital neighborhood. So he works in the gang capital of the gang capital of the United States for over 20 years. And he tells the following story that I think gives us just a foretaste of what I'm talking about. Father Boyle says, you know, I had a 23-year-old homie. His name was Miguel. Miguel was working for me on the graffiti crew. As with a great many of our workers, I had met him years earlier while he was detained. Miguel was an extremely nice kid whose pleasantness was made all the more remarkable by the fact that he had been completely abandoned by his family. Prior to their rejection of him, they had mistreated and abused and scarred him for his whole life. Miguel calls me one New Year's Day, and he says, Happy New Year, G. Father Boyle says, Hey, that's very thoughtful of you. You know, Miguel, I was just thinking of you on Christmas. What'd you do for Christmas? Father Boyle asked, knowing that Miguel had no family to welcome him in. Oh, you know, I was just right here, Miguel said, meaning in his tiny little apartment where he lives alone. All by yourself, I asked. Oh, no, no, quickly, he says, I invited homies from the crew, you know, the vatos like me who didn't have no place to go for Christmas. Miguel named five homies who came over to his tiny apartment, all guys who were enemies of his, guys who were in rival gangs. Really? I said to Miguel, that sure was nice of you. But now he's got Father Boyle curious, so I ask him, what'd you do? Well, Miguel says, you're not going to believe this, but I cooked a turkey. He says, you can feel his pride just welling up through the phone. He goes, wow, you did? Well, how'd you prepare it? Miguel says, you know, ghetto style. Father Boyle says, I'm not really familiar with the recipe. (laughs) Miguel goes, well, you know, you just rub it with a gang of butter, throw a bunch of salt and pepper on it, squeeze a couple of limones over it, and you put it in the oven. It tasted proper. Father Boyle says, wow, I'm impressed. What else did you have besides the turkey? Nothing. We didn't eat anything else other than the turkey. Miguel's voice tapers. 
Yeah, just the six of us, we, we just sat there staring at the oven, waiting for the turkey to be done. One would be hard-pressed to imagine something more sacred and ordinary than these six orphans on Christmas Day staring at an oven together. It's the entire law and prophets all in one moment, right in that humble yet holy kitchen. Not long after this phone call, Father Boyle gives Miguel a ride home after work. Father Boyle says he had long been curious about Miguel's own certain resilience. When they arrive at Miguel's apartment, Father Boyle says, Hey Miguel, can I ask you a question? Um, how do you do it, man? I mean, given all that you have been through, all the suffering in your life, all of the pain and the stuff, how are you like the way that you are? It doesn't take Miguel half a breath to answer. He says, Father G, you know, I always suspected that there was something of goodness in me but I just couldn't find it. Until one day, he quiets a bit, he said, one day, I discovered it in here. It was in my heart the whole time. I found it. Goodness. And ever since that day, I've always known who I was. Miguel gets caught up by his own truth. And then he says, and now, ever since that day, nothing can touch me. And God saw that Miguel was so very, very good. God looked at the whole of Miguel's life and saw to the core of who he was. He was made for goodness. And there was evening. There was morning. The first day of his life. Friends, do you know who you are? Do you know what you were made for? You were made for goodness, each and every one of you. Your lives might not reflect it all the time, but that's what you were made for because God declared it so. God looks at all parts of your life, every layer. Even the dirty ones that reside right on top. Those layers that you wish you could take a potato peeler and just get right off. God sees through those to the core of who God has made you to be, which is the image of divine goodness. For you are a child of God made in the image of God. So today, right now, God looks at you. God looks at all of us. Your life and your heart. And God says, oh, it is so very, very good. Let us pray.
Could it be true? Could it be true that you made us for such goodness, O God? You did send your son, Jesus the Christ, to teach us a new way that we might all know your love and goodness for this world and for our very lives. You call it grace. And our only response forever and for always is, thank you. Amen.